Okay, this is Stu. We're going back in the day with Anne-Marie. How's it going, Anne-Marie? Oh, really good. Thanks, Stu. Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's hook straight in. You are a native of... Adelaide. Adelaide. Okay. So when did you leave Adelaide? Uh, well, I left there a few times. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I left there originally in 72 after I'd done a couple of years of work and, uh, you know, Adelaide was terribly boring and there was quite a big downturn in the music scene and I thought, oh, I've got to get out of here. So I went to Sydney and I was allowed to do that at sort of 19 because my auntie lived over there. And everyone figured, you know, I wouldn't get into any trouble. My auntie would be there to bail me out. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the history in the world aunties have ever actually fulfilled that role. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was sort of the matriarch of the family, so I'm sure she would have. But, you know, I was a, a very... You didn't uh, need bailing out. No, no. I, I suppose I shouldn't say that, but I was the model child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so you, you just you just mentioned that the music scene went a bit went a bit sort of downhill in Adelaide and that was sort of helped prompt you to leave. What, you know, what was the, what was the first thing you saw oh, that you can well, remember? The old music scene I wasn't part of because I was too young, but you know, we're talking about Masters Apprentices, uh, the Twilights, uh, the Valentines with Bon, you know, sort of went oh, okay. way, way back. Bon Scott, he played the flute in uh, that band? He could have. He, he was one of the two singers. There were two guys singers, which okay. was quite unusual. Um, but, uh, yeah, but my ex had been to see all these people, you know, in those yep. days, uh, the guys were really allowed to do things, uh, at the same age, but you know, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. all right for the guys to be out. S- the so was it a <laughs> pub type scenario or was it like the, I know in Sydney in those sort of early seventies, late sixties, there was a lot of scout hall, rural hall type things going on where bands were playing all, a lot of the, you know, Akadaka and all that. They played in a lot of the sort of yep. Hurstville Police Boys Club <laughs> yeah. and places. Yeah. I know, it's hilarious. Well, I think that did go on, especially people like Mal Eastick with Stars, you know. He talks, Mal talks about that at some of his shows here. Um, they were in the garage for a long time. Uh, but um, these guys were already so huge that they were at what was... A disco. We called it a disco, but it was really a 60s discotheque. It was very okay. London, swinging London, swinging Adelaide, you know. <laughs> and that's that's where it used to happen. And there were a couple of those, and they were kind of underground in town in Adelaide. And uh, it was a very big deal. Okay. So was this uh, – s- sorry, was I, I don't have my Adelaide or my, my South Australian history down – Perhaps as much as what it could be, <laughs> um, but was this in the years of Don Dunstan, or was that uh, before Don oh Dunstan? Oh yes, he was um, a very progressive premier. For he the, was, for he the time. was, but you know, not not about hard rock. I don't think uh, that's why I think it sprang up because it was completely anti-establishment okay. to have all that great music, and it was mostly because of the the what was a satellite town then Elizabeth, yep, which was about twenty k's north east i think of adelaide and uh it it was connected with a huge big highway but no one ever went out there because you were afraid of getting beaten up (laughs) you know you had people like barnsey and swanee out there and all their cohorts and you know it was a bit scary going to elizabeth if you went to a gig so uh that's where all the great singers came out of the you know glenn shorrock and all these guys so they were just doing what they were used to doing in the uk 
Um, but we had no competition, you know, just the local guys. So it was fantastic because they just started up band after band after band and they were all always successful because they were so good. Wow. Okay. Wow, I never, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but really so good. <coughs> excuse me. So um, you, you hightailed it out of Adelaide, came, went to Sydney, you drove. Uh, yeah, my Tirana. <laughs> I'll bet that was an adventure. <laughs> my bright green Tirana. It was with my brother, with my uh, youngest brother, but only like 13 months younger. He was real streetwise, you know, compared to me. And um, and we didn't even know that we were sort of music people because that's just what you did. You know, you had yep. a radio in the car for the first time. And um, my first car was a Mini. I didn't even have a radio. So, you know, this, you just lived with the top 40. That's how it was. And everything was in the top 40. It wasn't country. Yep. It wasn't, you know, different genres. It was just all great music and trying to get to number one. So uh, we hit Sydney, but I wasn't thinking music. I was actually going over to do a, um, a course, a fashion course um, at Ramwick Tech. Okay. And uh, so we, you know, found a flat near Paddington and uh, was quite near getting to Ramwick on the bus. <laughs> All that sort of stuff. But yeah, but, you know, the, uh, the music scene was big in Sydney uh, at that time. What was happening, I can't even think. Um, it was sort of pre-ACDC. Uh, but we were mostly only listening to stuff on the radio anyway. Yep. And it was like early ZZ Top and uh, it's sort of Deep Purple had dropped away, the Beatles had broken up, you know, all, yep. the, all the big the big names were all not so great. Um, but there was a bit of resurgence there with ZZ Top and LaGrange and then after that followed a whole lot of other guys. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, what happened in Australia, unfortunately, they, I think they put a, an import ban on, on the overseas music. So um, that was terrible. And you could only buy stuff from an import record shop. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. there used to be a good one in Pitt Street. And that, that went on for quite a while. And that, it's pretty well documented in the countdown thing, you know, the countdown years. They yeah, talk okay. about that. And, uh, yeah, Australian music, uh, I think mostly was happening out of Melbourne at that time. Okay. I know in my years, sort of my formative years, when I first started getting into music, Pitt Street was kind of the, the place where all the alternative record and the import record stores were. Yeah. Um, there was one called Zounds. Yeah, Zounds. And That's the, the one I knew. There was one further down <laughs> down towards Central Railway called Phantom Records. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, none of them are there anymore, of mm. course. it's I only recently, well, as I was explaining to you the other day, I've, I've been able to determine what's kind of, What's popular and what's semi-popular by looking at things on YouTube and seeing how many views that it, that yes. it has. Like, it's all it's, changed, yeah, you know. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not just what you go and do yourself on the weekend. <laughs> so uh, it was. It, there was a lot of buying singles back then, all the seven-inch singles on, on records, um, perhaps not as not as much buying albums. No, like, no. I, guess you I only ever bought singles and, yeah. uh, and my ex was the album man because he was in the Australian Record Club. Ah, and you okay. had to pay, uh, and he had to pay five dollars for an album. Yeah, right. And you'd, you'd order one a month or something or other. Okay. And uh, when I first met him, he um, he gave me uh, Led Zeppelin four. <laughs> <laughs> I was over the moon. <laughs> it was just the most incredible gift I'd ever had. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I played that poor thing to death. So you you came to Sydney. You started your TAFE course. You needed. Did you like? There wasn't government, uh, like sub. There wasn't government payments for people back then when they were doing edu like 
uh, tertiary, so to speak, education. No. How did you um, How did well, you survive? Did you get a part-time uh, job or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, this was all, you know, a night course. Um, but I did meet some, some real rag trade people there. Okay. Yeah, the young kids um, who were sort of only 18 or so, first job, they all had to do that course as a kind of prerequisite for their job. Yep. So uh, they all turned up, it was like six to eight, a couple of nights a week. So it was great to meet them because then I really got an idea of, of the real world and how it all worked uh, instead of it just being something I wanted to do for myself, you know. So was there much culture shock coming from Adelaide to Sydney? Oh, yeah. Well, in those days, everyone used to complain about how dirty Sydney was, you know. Okay. And I guess they were only talking about the city. So that was pretty awful. But I was so excited I didn't really see that. Today, you know, I would think it was hideous, but uh, I just picked out all the old history sort of spots anyway. I used to hang at Mrs. Macquarie's chair and, uh, you know, Blues Point and all those okay. kinds of places. And, I walk uh, and across, the rocks. Do you walk across the Harbour Bridge? Like, uh, is that sort no. of... <laughs> well, only because it was, it used to shake too much. I couldn't handle it. I, <laughs> I went weak at the knees, but I, I went up... You know, into that, those one of those towers, but not to the top. Oh wow! Yeah, okay, was, I've never done that. Yeah, it, I've it walked was, across the Harbour Bridge, but I haven't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I haven't been inside it. I would have loved to have done it, but I just uh, couldn't do it. I just had that vertigo thing going on, and uh, and I don't think you could get up the uh, the pylons then anyway. You could sort of walk up to them, okay. but I think, and that was more uh, of the Sydney grotty scene. You know, it was all just. No one saw the value of any of that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, you never saw any tourists. In look, the I mean, you look at old photos of Sydney, and there, it's basically completely devoid of any trees. Oh yeah. Like, uh, I, I mean, when I say old photos of Sydney, I'm talking back in the days before colour photography. You know, the forties, yeah. fifties. Oh yeah. Um, it's it's amazing how much greener. It is as a city now mm, compared to how it used to be. Yeah, um, I mean, I really compare even Grafton. You know, when I came up here at the end of 98, uh, the main drags in Grafton were like Sydney used to be. Just this concrete jungle. Yeah, you know, right. Just nothing leafy whatsoever. Yep. And to go down there for the Jacaranda Festival was just... You know these terrible bitumen streets, and then yeah. the, you know, one or two streets have, have got the figs down each side, and that's that's basically it. Yeah. They're not the main street; they're sort of off. No, yeah. I had to go looking for the Jacaranda streets. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, I, I was a bit disappointed, but it's just fantastic to see that the councils have got on board with all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Because uh, even Yamba was the same, and now Yamba's fabulous. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. And, of, although uh, they've just stripped a lot of the greenery from downtown. Oh, did they? Yeah, Whereabouts? Oh, all on Coldstream Street. Heaps of... No. Yeah, like a lot of trees are gone. Oh, dear. Well, Because they were... Apparently, they're the wrong trees. Oh. <laughs> like, they've they, they got to put the right trees in now. <laughs> oh, so. Well, I haven't been out for a while because I've been suffering with all this smoke haze. But um, when I leave here today, I'll go down and have a look. Because, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's very it's dear amazing. to my heart what they have done in the time I've been in this area. And I, I just think it's fantastic. It's just come straight out of council. So they, yeah, they've yeah. got some good people in there. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, you were going to tech three, two, three nights a week, and then what were you doing during the day? Oh, right. Well, you know, plan B, uh, secretary. Okay. <laughs> the secretarial week. But it was great because um, I got a job uh, downtown in Bly Street, which is the real older part of town, obviously uh, named after Captain, Captain Bly. Captain Bly, yeah. And uh, I was working for a property developer, dare I say, 
but it was very groovy and um, it was a lot happening, you know, new buildings in Sydney and they were great buildings. It was all happening there. Yep. Uh, the whole town was full of big cranes and stuff and uh, those terrible uh, boards along the, the sidewalks, you know, noise and you, you went out at lunchtime and all you could hear is drills and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just thought, what do I come to? But uh, it didn't faze me because it just all seemed so fantastic and new. And so different to Adelaide. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, Adelaide's come on now. It's, you know, um, it's always been claimed to be the um, the state that didn't have the convicts. So it was quite aristocratic in its day, in the okay. early days. Some big money in Adelaide. And um, it was, uh, there was just nothing for younger people to do. All we had was a, a couple of radio stations vowing for, you know, the number one spot. And there was um, no Rundle Mall back then. It no. would have been Rundle Street. Yeah, and that's yeah. when it was better because uh, all the Hearns in their V8s would go down Rundle Street. Um, Doing blockies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Thursday or mostly Friday and Saturday nights. And so we'd all be walking on the sidewalks going out to tea with our parents or something. And all these fabulous cars have been just crawling up and down Rundle Street. So back in the like late 60s, those cars would have been like 40s, 50s cars, wouldn't they? Like uh, 20 years old type? Uh, not really. You know, okay. the big Falcon, the big Moffat Falcons, um, you know, all that. I mean, they were only about $4,000 new. But $4,000 was a lot of money back heaps. then. Was like my parents' house in, in Sydney in the western suburbs, I think only cost them like $11,000. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was still big money. But there were plenty of guys that had those Falcons. You could uh, see every colour. <laughs> okay. I often think, like, when I look at Happy Days, um, oh yeah, and you see all the it's set in the 1950s, and you see all these 1950s hot rods. It's like, I'm sure the kids not, would not have been rich enough to be buying new cars and making them into hot rods. That was no. the that was the one continuity <laughs> flaw with Happy Days. Is like all these kids were driving hotted up 1950s cars <laughs> in the 1950s. It's like, but I think it used to happen. Um, I, I think that was my thought first too when I saw it, but. Um, not knowing much about America in those days, uh, I, I do think it used to happen. They certainly did up cars. Um, yeah, I just thought they kind of did up cars that were like if you were like a seventeen-year-old kid buying your first car, that's usually twenty years old. Like even now, like yeah. you, you know, you get a seventeen-year-old kids buys their first car. It's a late nineties sort of model because that's all they can afford, yeah, and yeah. then they do whatever they do to them. I just kind of assume that that's how it would have been mm. back then. You know mm. what I mean? Like younger people would have been buying older cars um, for less money and then turning them into hot rods. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I just assumed that, you know, it was parents' money. There was yeah, so much okay. money after the war in America that uh, I, I think a lot of it would have been not just doing them up themselves because yeah. I knew guys like that, you know, in the 70s. Okay. And, I mean, it was such a struggle. You could only buy one thing a week, you know, for the car. <laughs> Look, I guess there was a fair portion of those of young people that had Sandman panel vans yeah. when the Sandman came out. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Know, I guess when you're 18, 19, 20 and you've left school and you're working and you're living with your mum and dad, you've got nothing really else to spend your money on. Yeah, that's right. Well, petrol so, was so cheap yeah. too. So you didn't have much outlay and it all went into the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much to the girlfriend's chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> I used that word the other day. I did, Yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, <laughs> yeah. Basically the first time, I think. <laughs> okay, so you got to Sydney and you 
got yourself a flat in Pado. Yeah, and with my brother. You started to hit the hit the pubs, hit the bars, and and see the bands and, and things uh, like that. Well, or? actually, it didn't really. I, I can't. I think we were more interested in driving around in my fabulous Toronto, uh, which was only a stocky, by the way. Uh, and just to all the sights. I mean, it was so vast. You know, yeah, okay. you drive down to Cronulla. You, that's where you'd see the Sandmans uh, at the beach, and uh, I used to love going to the North Shore. Right up to Palm Beach, um, my this same auntie had a little shack up there, and they'd had that since the fifties um, when they used to actually be in Canberra, and they'd go up to Sydney for the weekend, and uh, and this little shack just happened to be at the bottom of um, Nat Young's new block and his fabulous house. They saw his new house go up. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they got to be friends with Nat. And uh, when I met Nat Young, when I came up here uh, through another friend, um, I said to him, did you remember the, the two um, sort of oldies, as it were, groovy oldies that had the little shack at the bottom of his place? And he said, yeah, I do remember them. It was amazing. <laughs> I saw him the other day, actually. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He always says hello to me. I I've never been introduced to him. Oh, right. I, I spoke to him in the car park of the beach one day. He actually told me I got a good wave. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I'm, and then I yeah, started chatting and he told me about got in trouble off his wife for flooding the basement or whatever oh, it was. Crumbs. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought um, thought Nat was uh, a great guy and, you know, we just knew about him so much through my auntie. It was a strange situation. And I had no idea that he was up here and yeah, had wow. his own scene down there at Angari until uh, this guy and I, Luca, who had surfed with him in the early 60s in Sydney, says, oh, come down, we'll, you know, meet Nat. And I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so at least I had a good story to tell him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he remembered, so that was good. Yeah. But they were the sort of people you would remember. They yeah. were, they were oh, pretty okay. hip. Uh, what's the word? Bohemian? Yes, that okay. is the word. That's exactly what it is. And how they survived in that little shed, I have no idea. But they were always doing an alfresco long before anyone else. Uh, it was probably, wasn't even called alfresco. No, it was just, it wasn't. Oh, where well, are we going to eat tonight? <laughs> we're out in the deck. Out, yeah, out. <laughs> it was like the where size of postage stamp deck, yeah, right. you know. Oh, it's oh so funny. God. Oh, that's funny. They were great days. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So what was the first, sorry, hang on. I asked you what the... Yeah, what music was happening. Well, I really had no idea because we were only listening to the radio. And, of yep. course, Lawsy would, was at his peak then. Okay, and what, what station and, was he uh, on then? Well, I just asked uh, that of Greg earlier, Mr. Greg. Um, he seemed to think it was 2UE, but okay. uh, that does ring a bell. Yep. And then Malcolm T. Elliott, who was a mad thing, he came on after. I can remember him. Yeah, from, from 9 till 12, I think, yeah. weekdays. Um, but it was great listening to Lawsy because uh, I'd be waiting for the bus and you'd hear every business had Lawsy on, you know, you'd wow. hear it coming out of their doorways. So oh. I used to get to hear quite a bit of his show, depending on how late the bus was. I guess he wasn't considered a, as much of a conservative commentator as oh, he is no, now. Oh, no, no, he, he was, uh, you know, really out there and uh, they loved it when he, he would tell people, I would cut them off and tell them, you know, what they what he thought of them and all that sort of stuff. It was just, oh, he was like a god, you know, that voice. I was flicking through the radio the other day and he was on and he was doing that. Oh, cutting yes. people yeah, off. Oh, yeah, still doing it. I think there might have been a idiots. time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think there could have been a time when he sort of toned that down a bit, but now he's probably thinking, well, what the hell, you know. <laughs> I hadn't heard him for, I don't know, a long time and some of the stuff he was saying actually was surprisingly not as conservative as what perhaps he seemed 
Yeah, you ten years ago or yeah, something like well, that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking um, too. He, he just, I don't know, seemed to have a little, just seemed a little less conservative than when I, when I was forced to listen to him. Yeah. I don't know, probably out at work when I was still living in Sydney. Yeah, um, it was always or, going. Or a place like that. It, he just, yeah, seemed a little mm. bit less conservative, yeah. a little bit more pragmatic without necessarily having to directly give the impression that he was either right or left wing. Yeah. Like it was, he just, on one, on one, sort of on one hand with regards to some things, he seemed quite progressive and then he still sort of, on the other hand, there was a few things that he said that was like, oh yeah, well that's still pretty old school. Yes, you, you would expect term, that, that's um, right. Yeah, no, yeah. good old laws. Yeah. So what was the first record you bought? Oh gee, well, um, it would have been A Hard Day's Night. <laughs> oh, a single? Uh, uh, no, the album, oh, okay. yeah. Well, I didn't probably buy it. It was probably a, a Christmas a gift, present okay. or something. Uh, that would have been, what, 65 or something? Wow. Uh, yeah, grade seven in Adelaide. We have a different school system. Or well, we did. We had a bit different system over there then. So uh, grade seven was the last year of primary school. And uh, I'm sure that would have been a Christmas present. As far as buying one myself, isn't that terrible? I, it's like rock quiz. I, I can't think of what it would have been. Um, but it would have been a single and uh, it was probably something like painted black. Okay. <laughs> you know, the yep. Stones or Ruby Tuesday or something. The first know. record I got given, I got was a, was a Christmas present and it was a single and it was Sure No Something, Kiss. Oh, and my sister gave it to oh, me. Oh, wow. But then the first one that I bought myself was um, Let's Dance, David Bowie. Oh, yeah. And I, I bought it from Kmart. That. It cost, I think, nine ninety nine or maybe eleven ninety nine. And um, I got it home. I put it on the record player and, and it skipped like oh, oh, from no. the very beginning. And I took it back and they put it on the record player in Kmart and it didn't skip. Oh. <laughs> and I was just like, ah. Oh, typical of, Typical of my life. But yeah, David Bowie stuck with me so uh, pretty well ever since. Like. Good. But, um, yeah, so I'm just thinking haircuts now, Stu. You know, we were talking about that the yeah. other day. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that you came up with Feather and Tails because I've never heard of that. Haven't you? Okay. And I was trying to explain to um, to Phil earlier, Techie Phil, um, about that conversation. And, uh, and it reminded me of Magda Zabansky. That was one that of her. That character that she... Yeah, yeah. That she I don't even know what that was called. Yeah, uh, Shazza and, the, and Dazza or oh, something, I think they she, were. Yeah, that yeah. rings a bell. Uh, yeah, and of course the guy, he he was some famous comedian, wasn't he? The skinny guy uh, with her. Oh, I can't remember. He used to have the... that terrible crop top thing and, and yeah. the high-waisted jeans. Yes, and the moccasins. <laughs> but I, I think the moccasins, <laughs> the moccasins was a very <laughs> Melbourne thing. Like a very, very, very Melbourne thing. Right. I never saw, like, in the late eighties when I first started going out, or mid eighties when I was going out and I was underage, there was a few what I would consider sharpies around. Right. But they wore boots. Oh that, yeah. Like now, the sharpies that I know of from Melbourne, like from what I've seen since, wore platform shoes. Oh, in the early seventies, really? Yeah, early to, to late seventies. Um, but yeah, no, I saw these sort of sharpie-looking characters, um, and and they were all yeah, they were in boots, like right. uh, either like a a pull-on boot or yeah. like a um an army boot, but not necessarily Doc Martens because they weren't all that 
there wasn't that many places where you could get Doc Martens back in mm. sort of the mid eighties that sort of no. compared to now you can buy Doc Martens anywhere. Like, yeah. um, but yeah. And they were also expensive for shoes back then. Like they were over a hundred dollars for a, a pair of shoes. And like, that was just unheard of to spend oh, that yeah. much money. My mother <laughs> just would not let me buy a pair, but I went to England and bought a pair for 20 pounds. Oh. <laughs> so, so like, you got your Doc Martens. Yeah, I got my That's Doc Martens when I was like 16, 17. But mm. yeah, no. Um, and then I went to Melbourne when I was about 15 and there was all these kind of characters around Melbourne wearing like ladies Fabergé jeans that were so, so tight Ooh. and moccasins. And then they had these sort of sharpie haircuts. But I was in like, I was visited uh, my dad's friends that lived right out in the burbs in a place called... Um, Key, Keysborough, I think, oh, which was just extremely it. suburban. And, yeah, there was all these guys there that was just, like, completely – it was just totally foreign. It was a, from a different planet compared <laughs> to the fashions of Sydney. It was, yeah. it was amazing. Like, did you find that, that when you first came to Sydney, the fashions were – much, much, much different to Adelaide. Uh, and you're like, wow, well, look at all we, these freaky people. Yeah, <laughs> we, we always knew as Adelaideites that Sydney was way ahead with the fashions. Even the big department stores were six months behind what was happening in Sydney. Okay, and so, and actually, it worked in their favour because they they would take all the leftover stuff, you know, that Sydney didn't want anymore because they'd all moved on. Yep. And we, we all bought it, and we all thought it was fantastic. Okay. But for visitors coming to Adelaide, they must have thought, oh, my God, <laughs> you know. And someone even said to me, I went for an interview um, at a, a fashion place eventually, and um, I remember the receptionist saying to me, um, oh, so what's Adelaide like? Oh, I've heard it's a big country town. Well, that's, that's <laughs> and what I, I was said. I was <laughs> devastated because... I mean, I knew it was pretty daggy, but, you know, it was a city. <laughs> yeah. Look, I moved to Melbourne from Sydney in 1998, and, and Melbourne felt like a big country town to me. Oh, really? Back then, yeah. Gee. Um, I was probably a little bit up my own ass. <laughs> I'm from Sydney. <laughs> we don't have trams. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I found it extremely strange that, like, you would get, you would get on the train at Flinders Street. First stop would be Richmond. Second stop would be South Yarra, and to get to, to get like second stop out of Sydney, there's a level crossing where the cars, are, like where the oh, boom yes. gates go up and down. Oh, I was yeah. just like, oh my god, there's no way you could have that in Sydney. It was just like, imagine the traffic. Yeah. Now, I mean, the traffic in Sydney is is as though they do have level crossings, oh, but they don't have yes, them. It's just at every corner. It's ridiculous. Oh, crazy man. Yeah, um, I have family in Melbourne, and uh, they're all fashion mad, fashion victims. And uh, they love Melbourne because of that. They yep. were always able to find different things and always had a label. You know, I used to cut out all my labels. And this is one of my aunties, but she was very young. And she she said to me one day, cutting out the label? <laughs> That's the best part. I said, oh, not the things I buy. <laughs> oh, you mean like in the back of your yeah. neck so, so it wouldn't sort of be scratchy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would just take them out because, you know, I was a sewer and it's just superfluous material. But, you know, she would be buying um, interesting labels stuff. Yeah. Oh, no, that's the most important part. Nobody will know that it's... <laughs> it's so... This could become... Maryvale. Mary vale yeah. yeah. Oh, Maryvale, yeah. Well, that was um, that was the biggest thing I loved. I really came because of the fashion thing and, and that's what took up my 
my mind and, you know, Maryvale was so big then. Yeah. And my, the in-shops. One of my best friends worked there in the 90s, oh. uh, Mr. John and Maryvale. Oh, and fantastic. There was yeah, a cafe downstairs and it was just right on near the corner of Pitt and... Oh, Pitt and Park, yeah. maybe? Pitt and Park Street? Oh, jeez. It, it was next door to City Tats Club. Oh, yeah. Tattersall's Club, which I don't even know is, if it's still there, but no, nah, Mr. John and Mary Vale. Oh, fantastic. That Mr. Must John have been. died recently, I think, oh, the last did couple he? of years. Yeah, oh, but, um, that? yeah, that would have probably been their second shop that, that's after my time. Um, but we were um, we were sort of up the other end of town working and going. Yep. You'd go to Mary Vale's every day in your lunch hour to see what was happening. Yeah. Oh. And th- she was such a great story too, to have been just a milliner, yeah. you know. Uh, came out here and found that um, we didn't. Well, the fifties women used to wear, wear hats, but then hats went out. Yeah, so right. she just reinvented herself and okay. and this fabulous label. And of course, the hubby, Mister John. And the other really huge thing that was happening at that time too was the Mary Miko fabric um, lady. I forget her name, but that was out of town. She she was set up um, on the north side. Um, it's not terrible. I can't think of the name now. Something bridge where that other bridge was. Oh, North Bridge. Yeah, North Bridge. Yeah, okay. And you'd be going down that May Dragon right at the end where uh, some other big street crossed it, and that was the end of that road. Was her place, and it was this incredible building with you know so looked so groovy. It was some groovy design that she had with her fabrics. So that was was very big deal. Sydney fashion seemed to be. Uh, Influenced by international people, yeah, okay. you know, and this is why they were building the opera house too. Yeah, right. So it was all about uh, not Aussie, you know. We, yeah, we were okay. all so daggy. It was all about Jorn Utzon and as much trouble as he was in with the opera house. At least he was Danish, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. And Mary Miko was Scandinavian, and Mary Vale was Dutch, and yeah, it was all about what was happening over there. European, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? Um. I heard something to the effect of somebody made some comment about um, Goff Whitlam. Uh, it wasn't until Goff came in that the 60s really kicked in in Australia. And I was like, what are you talking about? Goff came in in, in the 70s. It's like, yeah, the 60s really, yes. like like the 60s for the rest of the world didn't hit Australia until the 70s. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's true. I was only thinking about that last night. Yeah. What are we going to talk about today on this podcast? And I thought that might be a good thing because um, in our little uh, trips around Sydney, not in the car, uh, we moved to Surrey Hills later. And uh, it wasn't very groovy, it was still pretty daggy, but it was just starting to still be affordable for uni students and yep. stuff like that. So we managed to find a terrace and uh, so we walk around all these incredible old streets and see what was going on. And we walk up to the cross of all places, not realising, you know, it's a bit dangerous thing to do. But at that time, you know, hair had been happening and yep. it, it was kind of a, a good mixture of, of crowd. It wasn't, um, I don't think the drugs were so bad or if they were it was in the back streets yeah it, was, so, it wasn't out in the open yeah it wasn't in much. your face you know and then i guess also back then you know particularly with with, with weed nowadays if, if if you smoke weed in a public place somebody's going to smell it yeah. whereas back then you smoke weed in a public place People wouldn't know what the smell no, was. No, no. Yeah, I was, was completely just, naive. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. And yeah, even even <laughs> the police wouldn't wouldn't have 
most of the cops would never have come in contact with this before in their mm. lives and never heard it, sm- heard about it, smelled about it, sm- smoked it, anything. No. So it's just completely foreign. I was sort of another podcast I did with a guy called Bruce. It was he was talking about sort of that about the sort of oh, right. about how how much different and how much sort of they just weren't onto it. Like, no. I mean, I experienced the similar thing in the nineties with with um the the rave scene. There was a, there was a period of time there where there was this level of, of liberation because there was thousands of kids going to a warehouse, taking drugs all night, dancing to this music, and nobody had a clue that it was happening. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, accidents happen, or somebody dies or something like that, and then all of a sudden it comes in the media, the cops get onto it, cops yeah. started, and yeah, it's I guess that, that's, <laughs> that's probably, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I don't remember seeing many police on the beat either. Um, any of those walks up to the cross, you never saw a copper. Yeah, right. Uh, you'd see a lot of paddy wagons, yep. a lot of cruising paddy wagons. So they're obviously dragging people off the street, you know, taking them away. But And did they have paddy um, wagons in South Australia? No, no. Uh, we didn't even have guns. Right, so, the, so it was like English <laughs> coppers. Oh, yeah. And did they wear helmets or did they wear hats? Uh, no, they had, they had a pink cap. Okay, so they didn't look like English uh, coppers. It okay. was like an armed forces person, you know. Yep. Uh, except no weapons and... Um, I mean, I would have been afraid for my life if I was a copper, you know, coming across someone nasty because anything could happen to you. It's yeah, a bit yeah. like watching Heartbeat now. Yeah, okay. You know, yep. those um, those guys in the North Riding Constabulary. <laughs> and did they, they, did they walk around? Did the coppers in well, – were they on the beat in Adelaide uh, or, or were they driving around in Adelaide? No, I don't remember seeing them much in Adelaide either. You know, well, there was really no crime. There'd only yeah, been okay. the Beaumont children going yep. missing. And so, you know, that was very strange and one-off. And, uh, yeah, we, the, the coppers would be in their cars uh, and they weren't unmarked in those days. And, and, you know, my mates who were all into going to the drags and, you know, all the illegal stuff, um, that sort of came through my brother. <laughs> the street well, so you'd brother. go off to like a, some deserted place yeah, yeah, yeah. outside of the town? Well, it wasn't even deserted. It was the main highway to Elizabeth because <laughs> <laughs> it was a straight strip. All the oh, way was okay. like the Nullarbor train track, you know. And, uh, yeah, so eventually they'd turn up and it went, whoa, a big major panic and everyone would disperse, you know, in, in their fabulous hot Toronto, like the real Toronto's, the XU ones. And, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. that first sort oh, of Toronto. Yeah, fabulous Toronto. Uh, so it was a very big deal and, uh, but no one ever got arrested. They, they were just, you know, okay, good boys, this is it, you know, it's over for the night sort of thing. Um, but in Sydney, uh, I always used to get a very bad feeling about the, the police scene, you know, they had that old yard, um, which was on my bus route into town to work. Oh, the Darlinghurst yeah, police yeah, station. Yeah, that is yeah, now yeah. the big... Um, Te- it's a tech now. Oh, is it? TAFE, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, there's some Sydney police scene down oh, there yeah, as well, yeah. like yep. big, the, yeah, um, rebuilt. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, well, I think it was on Liverpool Street or Goulburn Street or something like that. Yeah. Now it's... Now they've got, like, there was, I think there was like a patch of land across the road from where the original police centre was. And oh. now that's all this gigantic, yeah. massive police centre. Yes. The one that you always see on the news. Yeah, that's right. Coming out of it. Um, so when our bus used to cruise down that, from Crown Street, down that curly 
Street, it might have been Wentworth Avenue or something. Yep. Uh, it was probably very nice in its day, but it was, oh, you know, real creepy and grubby. And this great big yard of police vehicles or confiscated cars probably as well. And just the cyclone fencing. And you'd often see a lot of police just standing around chewing the fat, you know, and they'd have their guns and everything. And uh, we used to freak out, you know. It, it really felt like that was the culture shock for us. Yeah, okay. You know, if nothing else, it was just the, the whole police thing. It just seemed to be this heavy, heavy feeling in the air, you know. And of course, Askin was in power, and all that corruption. Was yeah, he was extraordinary. Was awful, corrupt, wasn't he? Yeah. So you know, that was a bad end of town. <laughs> I had to go past there because that's where the bus went. And you'd be on one of those terrible old uh, green and yellow double deckers or something, you know, hanging off for dear life because you couldn't get a seat. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, because back in those days, and back in those days, they like you wouldn't have to. You jump on, and then the guy would come round with the thing, with his little ticket generator, yeah, and the thing, coins. and a little coin thing on his waist. And yeah, you'd have to pay your conductor. <laughs> uh, there used to be jobs for everybody back then. Oh, all these yeah. You know, they wonder why there's so, like, why so many people are not working. There's so many jobs that just don't exist now that used to mm. exist. There's a lot of jobs now that exist that didn't exist then. The high tech. But I, I reckon across the board, there's like as far as unskilled jobs go there's there's far fewer nowadays mm. than what there was back in those days yeah. you, know, you could get a job as a conductor or a anything yeah you know a oh, garbage yeah. man now you need a special license to drive a special <laughs> big truck and yeah, yeah. a gobologist yeah yeah <laughs> yes i didn't know anyone that never was able to get a job okay in those days it's just you know the way it was and there wasn't a lot available in terms of uh, um, you know, getting better, getting somewhere in life. You never thought about um, a career job, yeah. you know, that the girls um, that I knew could go and work in the local deli or they'd go nursing, which yeah. was, you know, more training sort of thing. Um, or quite a few of my friends went to a business college, okay. even though we had done a commercial course and learned all that stuff. But, you know, they didn't learn because it... <laughs> They didn't want to. They weren't interested. So their parents had to pay for them then to go to business college and, and learn it all again. More often than not back in those days, like women in particular stayed living with their parents until they got married. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that was still going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very strange to leave home uh, without, you know, so a good you reason. Have, <laughs> you kind of would have been like a bit of the exception. Oh, like yeah. It would have been the normal sort of done thing to do. Oh, no. You know, I think back to my days and everybody moved out. Everybody had flatmates. Everybody shared mm. houses with yeah, absolutely. people they had stuff in common with or often people they didn't have stuff in common with. <laughs> Depending on the rent. Yeah. yeah. No, it was. It was really, and I remember all the people at my work, my first job, were sort of freaking out for me, you know, going oh, off really? to Sydney and, you know, driving your car. Oh, and so I, that's why the story about the auntie, you know, who would be there if there was any trouble oh, yep. that appeased them a bit you know that there were relations there but uh, oh gee I don't know how many times I had to tell that story because the, you know the looks um, these guys would give you is you know they were they were really afraid they couldn't believe I was just going to take off 
<laughs> to me, I'd had a big plan. I'd been planning it for two years. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So you you ended up moving. You ended up getting a job in the music music industry. Uh, well, eventually I did. That was a long time later, Stu. Um, the fashion thing. I I was working for a couple of guys eventually in the fashion thing, but they were you know mad things. They were tearaways, and uh, they both worked in um, women's manufacturing. Big, big stuff. Like when, when the gabardine pants came in, yep. you know, the trousers with the calves and the flares, uh, that was huge. I don't know if it was huge everywhere else, but in Sydney it was just oh, unbelievable. And so these factories are churning out all this stuff and both these guys were salesmen and they'd done very well. So well that, you know, their egos like, well, we could be doing this ourselves and making a fortune. Yep. So <laughs> they started up this little shop in Sussex Street that was near what used to be Paddy's Market. And uh, they got a girl, you know, me, <laughs> to do the phone and everything and a few designs. And then we had to get someone else to actually do the patterns uh, because I hadn't got that far with my course. And so she came from the rag trade and she would come in after work, you know, after her normal job would finish and she worked for someone pretty groovy uh, someone well known more of a, a sort of a 50s women's label um, I think it was lingerie and stuff okay so she was interested in coming to somewhere where they were doing a bit more groovy stuff so that was good for her and she lived at Randwick, so she was able to drop me off sometimes. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was great. Convenient. And then my brother would come and pick me up in the Torana. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that went on for a while. But, you know, they, they went crazy. And the money they did make, um, they bought land at Caloundra when there was nothing there. And it was like only $2,000 or something oh. for a block. And they were just thinking they were going to become these big property developers, I think. I, I never really did ask them. But, you know, they had a mad, mad life. And um, I, they'd send me over to across the road to the corner pub every day about oh, two o'clock to go and buy a bottle of Benin. <laughs> and it was the most terrible stuff, <laughs> white wine. And because uh, Sydney was into wine then, they had wine bars and stuff. Okay. And we'd get on this bottle of Benin and then another one. And then they'd go off and party for the rest of the night, you know, driving around really pissed. Can I yeah. say that? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it was yeah. all before RBT. Yeah, you know? yeah, okay. And, and that was their life. And they lived over at... Um, Harbour, so they uh, they would be stuck in that morning. <laughs> they were in that morning traffic. You know, they had the beautiful sea view, and yeah. they were living this high life, um, and spending all their their profits. Uh, in the end, they couldn't pay the you know, the loan for the Caloundra land. You know, it was a few blocks they bought, so it all sort of started to go downhill, and it was tragic because oh, what am I going to do now? They they're going to go broke, you know. So sure enough, the liquidators came in and I just went back to the secretary scene and uh, I didn't mind because it was a lot more money. Um, Sydney people, even the women who got less than the guys by a lot, uh, was three times as much as I was making in Adelaide. Wow. And that doing was, the same thing. Uh, no, that was at a very good job that was almost semi-governmental and I used to get paid for my shorthand speed and typing speed. So I actually got more than the other people, you know. Because the, the, by law they had to pay you if yep. you if you had these good speeds. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, that all got added onto your wage. But you know, I could fill up the Tirana for two dollars, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, money was no object. Oh dear, uh, and you know, madly designing and making my own clothes. So I wasn't spending a lot, 
And it was really the trip to Sydney that I had to save for and tires and you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so like what was your rent what was your rent were like um, were you, you were sharing with your brother? Yeah, when you first I was moved? sharing with my brother and uh, we had uh, it was about thirty two dollars um, for an upstairs of a townhouse in Surrey okay. Hills. Wow. And that was about the top price at the time. So about sixteen dollars each. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was earning about 75, you know, so, oh but it was just, God. it was unbelievable. So it were really good days. And I did manage to save because I thought, well, I, I will do something better after this. Uh, but I ended up leaving Sydney um, with my ex, actually. And um, my parents had gone to Perth on, they were supposed to be doing a round Australia trip with the caravan and everything and the dog and the rifle. But uh, something happened. They got to Perth and Dad got offered a fantastic job that he just couldn't refuse. And uh, and they wouldn't let him keep the caravan on site. Ah. So he had to get rid of the van and, you know, my mum was bored and oh, it all sort of started to fall apart. So I wasn't doing very well with the Sydney Air, which I hadn't even realised that, you know, it would be yep. no good for me. So my ex decided he'd go back to Adelaide for a while and I went to Perth to sort of sort out the oldies. <laughs> and that was great because, oh, you know, I just thought, wow, th this is really just a smaller version of Sydney. They got the river, like a sort of a big river, like a harbour. Um, it was uh, it was clean, it was gorgeous, and oh, I was just really taken by Perth. And that was long before it really took off. You know, Bondi okay. was still yep, there, yep, yep. Uh, all that kind of thing, and um, it was still a very very small place in terms of what they'd done with their roads. They had made a, a terrific kind of freeway into town yep. way back in about '63 when we were first there, but that's another story. And so you could see that Perth really had vision, you know, yep. and whatever was going to happen there was going to be really good. And the beautiful park up the top, Kings Park, uh, all the real good infrastructure was there. So I decided to stay there for a while and uh, I got a job at, at the uni, the University of Western Australia. And that just opened up a whole other world. <laughs> and that's where I met Bon Scott's mother. <laughs> she was our tea lady. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> that's my real, you know, claim to fame story about Perth. But it was amazing because I'd been there for a while, a few months. And because it was the uni, it was all very well set up. They had a huge, beautiful room up the top of one of their buildings that was our tea room. And uh, we had a couple of faculty. So we'd all go up there for morning tea. And there was this lovely lady there and she would manage the, the whole thing. It was all in teapots, you know, the tea and um, just all fabulous things came on trolleys. You got served. It was, got you know. Served by Bon Scott's mother. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. And then one day, because I was in charge of, of uh, taking her supply requirements, she would come and see me or I would go and see her. And you know, it was just Mrs. Scott. Never, ever dawned on me that, wow. you know, who she might actually be. And so I went up there one day to get this list and um, she, a very heavy Scottish accent, a beautiful looking woman, you know. You could see where Bond got a lot of his good looks. And uh, I don't even know how we got talking about music, but I must have been waiting for her. Maybe she was on the phone or something. I had to hang around. She got off and uh, she's, uh, something came up about music and she said, oh, oh my, my son's in a band, you know. And I said, oh, really? And, you know, it would have been good to go and see them. I'm just thinking someone in Perth. And um, she said, uh, oh, oh, you probably haven't heard of them. And I said, oh, I might have. And she said, um, oh, well, they've called themselves ACDC. 
<laughs> we just oh yes, they're fantastic, you know. And she said, oh, "Have you seen them?" Then I said, "Yes, I have actually. You know, by chance, I just uh, seen them in Adelaide when I was kind of coming over to Perth in a pub." And uh, I said, "Oh, don't worry about that, Mrs. Scott. You know, they're they're going to be huge." Wow. And uh, she said, "So this was like about 1974." Okay. And I didn't even realise, but the guys must have already had some platinum albums or something yeah. because she said, oh, oh, Bond sent me his albums and I'm thinking, oh, the record, you know. Yeah. She said, oh, I'll, I'll bring them in if you like and have a look. So the next day she calls me up to her little scene there at the back of the tea room and uh, she brings out the great big record company, platinum and like oh, gold wow. albums okay. in the frames, you know. Wow. And I... Oh, <laughs> The look on my face, must have, I must have been aghast. And uh, I said, oh, my God, you, you've got these from the record company. And she said, oh, have I? I said, yes, that, that's what, you know, they get when they've sold a heaps of records. And she said, oh, he must be doing all right then. And I said, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was even then that, you know, Molly decided that he would have to have them on countdown. He'd been okay. avoiding it like the plague. Um, but in the end, he just had to. And uh, so then... She started to realise that, you know, this is really good. They ended up becoming a fairly regular fixture on camera. Oh, yes. Like, I've seen some, like, amazing footage with Bond dressed up as a schoolgirl. <laughs> oh, yeah, and with the plaids that do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> plaids kind of, like, they got wire in them and they sort yeah. of stick up, like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then Molly's dressed up as the queen. Oh, that's like, right. <laughs> oh, my God. Typical. Oh, typical Molly. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. And so, you know, I never thought of her as Mrs. Scott anymore because, you know, it's Bond's bon mum. Bon. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea about the rest of his family until, you know, those countdown shows started coming on. And, yep. and like, not the early ones, but the, the later. Yeah, the, okay. uh, Looking back on the years, you know. And they put a lot of information in those shows that I'd never heard before. It was, it was an amazing show. Oh. Like, I mean, my <laughs> mum and dad, we, you know, we used to religiously watch it every Sunday oh, night man. and, and often on the Saturday night when they would pl replay the Sunday before. Oh, really? Oh, like, we didn't get the replay. Okay. Yeah, no, we would like, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm guessing they probably didn't start doing that, but they eventually realized that, yeah, well, we can play a replay of last Sunday's on Saturday oh, absolutely. and still have people watching it. And oh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, I, I used to have a little tape recorder that I would sometimes like a song would come on that I'd like and I'd hit tape on record. Everybody be quiet and everybody have to be quiet so I could take oh, the songs shoot. off countdown. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, um, I remember when, um, Molly, I mean, Molly really did the same thing to Cold Chisel, you know, many years later. Yep. And I thought, oh, geez, he's not going to revisit this situation again because, you know, they're obviously going to be huge and he, he just doesn't want a bar of it. And uh, so I always thought that was a bit of a shame because it, it wasn't what the people were telling him, you know. Yeah, okay. Molly was just off on it doing his own thing. Yeah, yeah, he was, wasn't <laughs> he? He still kind of is. <laughs> yes, oh, he is now for sure. Although we haven't like, seen Molly for a no, couple of years. No, I think I last saw him on the news <laughs> you know, when yeah. he had his fall. Um, oh, I saw him at the when um, that Sam, the guy that played him in the miniseries about him, oh, won the gold logie, and Molly yes. just kind of, yeah, like yeah, uh, I, I did see hobbled that. up onto the stage. Yeah, and, yeah, it was like, oh, geez, you are old. You are getting an old man yeah. now. Like it was. 
And being a St Kilda supporter. Me for you all. Yes. Oh, it's like all the songs I play. You know, everyone's dead. But uh, no, Molly um, Molly was done so well. That that was really great. And I loved that guy, Sam. Uh, Sam. What is it? Uh, Johnson or Johnston? Samuel. Yeah, Samuel. Yeah. Samuel I, I think he's a Johnson. Yeah. And, oh, I just, I could watch that again. He rode a unicycle around Australia yeah. to raise money for cancer. Yeah, for, for his sister. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a funny guy. Yeah. But he did that so well. And I suppose he would have had a lot of time with Molly to, you know, get things right. Yeah, because he yeah. really did. I think he's a Melbourne boy. So, mm. yeah, Molly's a Melbourne boy. Mm. So they probably. Yeah. And I didn't know that Molly was uh, an AFL supporter. He's always been a Mad St Kilda fan. So sometimes I see him in the crowd. That would have been the last time I saw him. Oh, they okay. would have flashed onto him, yep. right, waiting yeah. for hoping St Kilda was going oh, to win. I'd be surprised if he could even walk. Like you know, that couple of years ago when he won that thing, um, yeah. when Samuel Johnson won, mm-hmm. uh, assuming that his name is Samuel. Johnson. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, he didn't look well. Mm-hmm. Like he he didn't look well, and yeah, I mm-hmm. haven't really seen him since. I'll we'll have to Google it. <laughs> find Where the are you now, Molly? Yeah, yeah. So tell us about 2SM. You, you worked oh, at 2SM. Yeah. You so I'd gone got back, back to, to Sydney. Sydney. I did. I got back to Sydney. And that was after, you know, a lot of other junk. I went to New Zealand for a working holiday for a couple of years and uh, Kiss toured New Zealand when I was there. Oh, okay. So that would have been in 1981. Yeah, right? yeah. Because I was there from 80 to 82. Yeah, so, I wasn't allowed to go and see them. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh. apparently, like, apparently there was like outrage at the cost of the tickets. Oh, really? They were $13 each. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a shame. Well, when you talked about sure know something, well, that wasn't that the B side of um, was, I Always Made for the, Loving You? Yeah, it was, I think it was the second single off Dynasty album. Oh, was yeah, it? Yeah. Okay. Because my single, I've got uh, that on the B side of I Was, made, I was made for Loving You. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And it turned out, I was living in Queenstown in New Zealand there, which is right at the bottom of the South Island, sort of. And uh, they were coming, they were only doing Auckland and Christchurch, I think, over there. Yeah. And it turned out that uh, one of the guys I'd worked for in Adelaide, uh, when I, I did get into the music scene eventually, uh, he was their tour manager. <gasps> and um, so I got this note from Robbie... Uh, Robbie Robertson, as they used to call him, not not from the band, <laughs> but just, you know, an Adelaide management guy. And uh, he said, oh, you know, I'm going to be in Christchurch with Kiss. You know, um, why don't you come up for the concert? But by the time I got this note or, you know, I mean, there was no communication yeah, much. Yeah, it wasn't to a text. It, it wasn't was a text. Too, it wasn't an email. It was all it too late. A letter, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so it was very sad because if he told me, you know, earlier, I would have got on the bus, the yep. bus to Christchurch, <laughs> which <laughs> was the on, only way to get there. On. Okay. <laughs> and it would have been fantastic. You can imagine. Oh, crumbs. Never mind. It was um, pretty much fun because the, some mad girls, local girls, lived downstairs in this house where we were. And they were all kids, maniacs, you know, just like you think of the Kiss Army. Well, they yep. were like that. Yep. And they were younger than me, but they were from that generation. And, uh, in fact, I think they went up to Auckland to see them because okay. that was, you know, a much more big deal. Yep. And one of the girls' dad was the mayor of Queenstown. <laughs> uh-huh. So she was a wild thing and she always used to get away with it because, you know, the dad could squash it all. That's got to get out of jail free card. <laughs> but they all took off up there and, oh, you know, they just had such a great time and uh, the sort of thing that would live with you forever. Yep, yep, mm. yep. 
So you came back to Australia? Yeah, so then I only had two years there. So I came back um, because this same guy said to me, you know, when you come back, if you ever come back, come and see me because there'll be a job, you know. Okay. Oh, wow, how fantastic. So that's, and as far as you knew, the job was just a music industry job? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it would just be um, doing whatever for Robbie. Yeah, okay. In fact, when I first started with them, it was only because I was a temp and I got sent to this, this crazy place. Uh, that was doing the Evil Knievel tour. Ah, okay. And they, you know, <laughs> it was going to be so huge that they, they needed help, you know, they needed a shorthand typist. So that was me. And um, so I rocked up at this place and, oh, it's fantastic. It was in North Adelaide, which was sort of becoming very groovy and um, a beautiful big old house, you know, amazing old place. And um, that's where Channel 9 was and it was really the, the arty part of yep. Adelaide, North okay. Adelaide. So I started there. It was only supposed to be for a few weeks, you know, until Evil went home. And, of course, it all blew up into that terrible fracas where he, he wouldn't go on and um, all the towns that had been organised, you know, with hay bales and all the things that you needed for, for, for his madness. For <laughs> things setting on fire, you know. <laughs> uh, and it was all set in place. All the newspapers, all the local newspapers, all through Queensland, New South Wales, whatever, you know, it was all happening. Everything was ready. And then he pulled the pin. And it must have just been the most, you know, terrible financial crisis. Oh, I've seen some docos. He seems oh. like a real jerk of a oh, person. Like. Crumbs. You know, I think he was just chicken in the finish because he'd done it all before. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't follow him. So did, he I... ever, did he ever land a jump like, <laughs> where he didn't like end up like a rag doll across the stadium? Like... Well, I think he must have been America. I, you know, I hadn't really followed him. <laughs> I, that, that's not really my thing. But uh, I knew who he was. And the stars and stripes gear or yep, something, yep. was it? And the helmet, oh, I'm a bit like this mad thing on the, the ad now that comes on with the, um, uh, I think it's an old, is it a Valiant? The Orange Valiant or something? And he's always blowing himself up. Oh, the insurance <laughs> ad, Cap, uh, Captain Sent, no. Uh, oh. <laughs> Captain think. Risky or something? Oh, yes, oh, yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're hilarious, those ads. Well, I think that's sort of based on evil, you Yeah, know, okay. towards the end. Oh. <laughs> I love that. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, that that turned out to be... They decided to keep me on. That's what it was. Because, you know, having shorthand was this fabulous, valuable thing to have. And uh, so I just got involved in all sorts of wonderful things. But unfortunately for me, the rock side of this place had all moved away. The Angels had gone to Sydney. Coaches yep. had gone to Sydney. They were coming back for shows. But, you know, it wasn't the same as it had been. Yep. So I was, you know, Johnny come lately. It was all very sad. But anyway, it didn't matter. I thought, oh, well, you know, it has happened. You could feel that, you know, there'd been things going on. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. feel the vibes. <laughs> well, I guess like that that would have been Don Dunstan time. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, you know, Donnie was uh, not very well thought of really by the, the normal people, you yeah. know, like my dad and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they all thought it was all a bit of a joke. But uh, he he was up there and it was happening and really he didn't get taken down until Yana did that interview with him many years later. Oh, okay. Um, I... When he'd gone to Melbourne. Yeah, right. And he was doing something with the Chinese. And, um, yeah, one of Yana's most famous interviews where, where Donnie Dunstan pulled the pin, you know, oh, have to got up and walked down. Look at that on the internet. Yeah, yeah, you'd love that. And Yana was at her most gorgeous, you know. And uh, they still show that 
bit of that thing, that clip from time to time when they're talking about journalism and yep. how good it used to be. And, you know, Yana was really top dog then. So 2SM, 2SM. Oh, how'd yeah. Oh, this terrible? I'm going, going back <laughs> and back. So 2SM was much later. So uh, that was… Uh, so did you come back to Sydney yeah. and then find that job or did you go to Sydney because you got offered that job? Uh, no. What happened? Oh, I went to Sydney because I was uh, uh, helping a mu- an Adelaide muso sort of depart Adelaide. And he, okay. was, he was a bit too afraid to, you know, make the move. But I could see that there was nothing. It, Adelaide goes So you were sort of acting as his auntie, like yeah. your auntie. Was <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> I, was, I was the mother figure. Oh, Christ. His mother was a, a, a Trekkie freak. And she was very strange. And she'd be up till 3 a.m., you know, every night. And, uh, and I met her once. And uh, she told this guy that uh, I was too sophisticated to be involved with it, <laughs> which I would never think of myself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh God, I used to be funny. <laughs> so I said, "Well, look, I know I know Sydney, like inner Sydney, pretty well. That that's where all your gigs would be. You know, yeah. he was just uh, like a solo artist, but he was looking to be in a." a a proper band. He had his own little band, a three-piece, uh, but he was looking to be in a, a much better band. And so off we went. It was good. Adelaide goes through these lulls with their music. I don't know yeah. about now, but in those days it was either on or not, you know, and at the time it was yep. not. So we did that and um, it worked out pretty good. You know, I just went off temping and that's where I ended up at 2SM, which is one okay. of my jobs for a week or two. But it was great, and uh, they ended up sort of having me come back quite a bit um, as people would go on holidays, like uh, Ian Grace's uh, girl who just needed to be there all the time, could never get a holiday. Suddenly it was someone they could trust, you know, to do it okay. Cover her job. Yeah, so she took a long time off, and then the manager's secretary went away, and it was really good. So I was more at the executive level, you know, or up on the DJ's floor, which they had in that gorgeous little building. At Blues Point there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still there. I don't think they... Catholic Church own them, don't they? Yeah. QSM, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and this, that was Was great. this in the days when they had the um, like round logo with the sort of yeah. zip? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got that sticker. <laughs> Rock of the 80s. <laughs> QSM. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was terrific. It was very cruisy and there was no sort of pressure anywhere. The, the people that had jobs there had been there a long time. Yep. You know, the lady that used to do all the prize giving stuff. She was an older older lady with um, a family. And I won. I won um, Van Halen in 1984. Oh, in 1984. Really? Oh, you might have even met her. Yeah. She was a mad thing and she was gorgeous. We used to have lots of conversation. But it was a smoking a cigarette on the <laughs> yes. cover. I had the poster. You can, you can never do that now. No. I was <laughs> telling someone about that the other day. Yeah, I had the poster because um, the next temp thing I went to was Warner Brothers, uh, which was kind of WEA. Yep. As well. It was only Warner Brothers uh, publishing. Yep. So it was the sheet music. So, you know, one of the first guys that came in was Don Walker. Oh, okay. Oh, from Cold Chisel. So, you know, I couldn't get away from Cold Chisel. It was heaven. Or Tex Charlie and John for <laughs> Tex Charlie and Don for <laughs> younger people. Yeah. <laughs> so that was great. And uh, it was only about six months. But uh, oh, just to see that other side of it, the sheet yep. music and how it all worked and the Kent Report and, you know, sending off the… The Kent Report used to be how they'd formulate the top 20? Top uh, yeah, top yeah, something like that. Okay. Everything was coming out of America, you know, out yep. of the 
LA office. So it was all very exciting. And I used to have to type up um, stuff that, you know, was happening for Barnsley, any, any of the, their, um, um, what do you call it, if you've got your publishing with them, you know. Um, so we would pick out from all these reports what was happening for our artists. And uh, sometimes they'd come in and then new stuff would come in and get played and yeah, it was really great. And um, after that, I went to 2SM. So uh, that all sort of happened. And um, I was always hoping really to get into EMI, like a, okay. a big place with, you know, really long-term jobs, yep. stuff like that. And they had a very famous Studio 301 at the time. Yep. That was I think it still exists oh, and probably. still there, yeah. Uh, but it was a very big deal at the time. And where I was living, uh, there was a guy in one of the um, – the units it was an old building but one of the units there was a, a new guy that had come out from england and he he was working at 301 okay so it's funny i thought well one of these days i'll just get there you know all these little clues kept popping up yep. wow. <laughs> but you know it didn't happen and uh, anyway my health just let me down in the end and i just had to go the air so um that's what i did the, the, and, from the um, air yeah, yeah you okay. know it's just too much pollution. so did you enjoy many perks of the music industry oh, when you were yeah. 2sm and, uh, yeah everything was Warner free Brothers, yeah. yeah i went to um 2sm was um the fabulous dragon um reuniting thing uh, that was a big concert. Got to, oh, okay, when know. they pl- when they came back yeah. after they'd been away for okay, yep. Yeah, got the you know the house seat there, and uh, yeah, there was always something on that you could be going to. And uh, there wasn't much in the way of festivals back then, was there? Like no. there is now. Everything's a festival now. It's yeah. like there's festivals all over the place. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was it was only concerts. Yeah, you know. The, the although there was sport. the Narara festival. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, well, I didn't even know where that was. Yeah, it's but uh, up near old Sydney town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. up north. Uh, yeah, there, there's always perks, you know, it's part of uh, the job. I don't know whether that still happens, but um, it's great. In fact, we went, uh, the the music publishing girls and I were sent an invitation to go to um, Studio 301's big party they had, you know. Okay. So that was great. And I thought, I was always thinking, oh, you know, this will turn into something. <laughs> this will turn into something good for me. But it wasn't to happen. And um, I just really, you know, love looking back on those times. It was really good times. Um, in a great environment. You know, there weren't too many egotists. It was all just really great. And you would have had a great view of the harbour, I'm guessing. Oh, it was so beautiful. Well, yeah. the, uh, the manager's office was, you know, up the top. And that's where you could just look out. I had my back to it, unfortunately. Oh. But, you know, I used to get up a lot. At least you could turn <laughs> around. Walk around. Yeah, you could turn around and look. Yeah, and, you, you know, look down to Blues Point Tower and the bridge. And it was all gorgeous. They had uh, they had the stuff on the windows. Um, what is that, you know, the um, lock on my car. Oh, like tinting sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it was yeah. a shame that, you know, the yeah, windows yeah. were tinted. So you didn't see the, the real beautiful blue. But then, you know, Sydney isn't blue anyway. <laughs> yeah, so. if, if that wasn't there, you probably would have ended up like... Getting burnt, yeah. <laughs> like sunburnt, yes. sitting at the desk at work. The, the beautiful brown sky, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just as well there was grey tint on the window. I could just make out it was the window. <laughs> Nothing really bad happening outside. <laughs> yeah, so that was that. But uh, uh, Triple M took over from 2SM then, and their head DJ guy, uh, Ian Grace, went to Triple M. Okay. So things really started to change because that was in Bondi Junction. Yep. So, you know, the North Shore started to lose a lot of its pizzazz yeah, everyone right. wanted to come back to the east side and um, even some of the uh, advertising companies did that 
So there was East Sydney became a very big deal and, you know, I, I was already living there, <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't much of a big deal to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd much rather go over the bridge, but, you know, that's how things change. It's like the years I lived in Sydney, you know, the amount of times I went to, like, and I lived in similar areas to you around the sort of oh, eastern right. suburbs. I probably could have counted on one hand over the course of 10 years how many times I crossed that Harbour Bridge and went to the north side. Like, it was just like, you yeah, just didn't do it. No, like, there was no, just no reason to. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it was only through uh, when I was at Warner Brothers that was like, you know, a bus into town, the train, get into Wynyard and catch a terrible, rattly old train uh, to uh, Chatswood, another bus up to Willoughby Road. And, you know, I had to rely a lot on public transport. Yep. And even though in the end I did buy a car, uh, you know, I had no carport, garage, yeah, or anything yeah. like that. Parking so it was a real street. luxury item. Yep. And it was only, I only bought it so I could take off out of town on the weekends, go up to the Blue Mountains or somewhere. Until you eventually took off. <laughs> yes, and then I really took off. <laughs> Relocated all, all the way to back to New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. Well, my dad passed away in 86, so that was a bit unexpected and terrible. So, you know, a lot of things changed. Uh, I had to leave the temping and sell the house in Adelaide, get my mum back here. And, uh-huh. <laughs> Things were never the same after that. But, you know, it was a really great thing to have happen and um, uh, wonderful times that will probably never really be replicated. Yeah. Because it's yeah. such big business now, you yeah, know. Yeah. We're more like America. Yeah. Um, and we'll never get back to those real early days yeah, yeah. Uh, where things were a lot simpler yep. and although it was still very hard work to get anywhere, you know, I mean, you've only got to look at ACDC and Chisel and stuff. I mean, it was such a hard road. Yeah, yeah. As Bond said, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll and it was. It was uh, a long way. And it's also way. a long way to the shop if you want a sausage roll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so fantastic. I used to love what uh, the crowds would do with, with the songs, like the Angels song. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's fantastic because I'm never going to see your yeah. face again. <laughs> I mean, it, it means a lot to the bands, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that right. the pundits would bother to do well, that. <laughs> I, uh, what was it that I, I was, um, I saw an interview with the lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, right. And he was like, oh, you know, back in the day, they they just wanted to play their first, the, the, whatever album they had out. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, we don't want to play the last album. We've got this album out. Yeah. But now they're sort of, you know, quite a lot of water's gone under the bridge and. Rather than get the buzz from playing their latest music, they get the buzz from the crowd. Mm. And so they'll just play... What they want. Yeah, they'll just play whatever, whatever yeah. they know the crowd wants. Yeah. And like that's where they get that mm. that real sense of sat satisfaction. Absolutely. I, I've never really considered that. Like I always sort of, you always see these musicians and they're, well, I mean, they don't like playing their own stuff. But, <laughs> but yeah, I guess beyond a certain point, you just got to go with what the crowd loves and, and, mm. and that's where you get your... Um, yeah, Get otherwise, good vibes from you. Yeah, know? It's like it was a reaction. Or well, they won't come, you know. Or they say, "Oh, you know, we've heard all that." But it's like um, pseudo echo. Yeah, you know, yeah, in yeah. pseudo headquarters here. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the night, uh, Brian actually said, uh, "Oh, well, tonight we're going to be playing all our old stuff." And I thought, oh, is that funny? Because the, I don't think the crowd would have thought it would be anything else, you know. <laughs> but yeah, they yeah. obviously have a lot of new stuff. And he was talking in his interview about yeah. writing new stuff all the time, working yeah, on yeah. songs. Um, and they obviously They've play. got a clip that just, it looks like a craftwork clip. Oh. Like they're sort of standing there behind keyboards, all of them, and sort of going through this sort of space scape that's all, I guess, electronically generated. But, yeah, yeah no, it was. I, I was surprised. And that was, I think... Oh, 
I think that was from 2010 or it was from oh, certainly quite recent. this millennium that, yeah. they, that they put it out. But mm. um, Well, I can imagine them being somewhere doing new music because they just look fantastic. Yeah, right. You know, it, it didn't have to be pseudo-echo music. They, they just look so professional yeah, and yeah. wonderful. And the girl who was with them was excellent. And she looked oh, yeah. fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I wouldn't have even minded if they had played a couple of other songs because it would have been interesting to hear. But they knew. They knew what the crowd wanting. And they did yeah. go mad. Yeah, yeah. As he said, they will all go mad at Funky Town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's, yeah, exactly. It was just like it was. It was almost like a coincidence that they even recorded it in the end. Yeah, but. and wasn't that interesting what he said about yeah. um, the guy um, Lee Simon? Yeah, um, put them, well, he was my favourite man at the time. Oh God, he did Night Moves. He was the host of Night Moves. Oh, okay, yeah, and that I was never on Channel Ten, wasn't it? That yeah, 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 yeah. When Ten was quite new, yeah. and um, and I didn't know at the time that he was a DJ on Three XY, which was the groovy station down there then. Yep. Before Triple M or whatever. Because they had the got. same. I'm pretty sure Three XY had the same. Logo was 2SM, didn't oh. they, with the, with the, with oh, the zip Oh, I don't denim? know. They might have. I think, yeah. They, they would have been, you know, the same kind of grooviness in their day. They would have been number one station. Because all these things, like when you lived in Sydney and you were growing up, all these things were just things you only ever saw the mention on Hey Hey It's Saturday <laughs> or, or, or Countdown or just like any of the other myriad <laughs> of shows that came out of Melbourne at the time. Yeah. It was like, I don't think we had in Melbourne, oh, what was it, GTV or something? Uh, yeah, well, there was Go Set in the old days. Yeah, yeah. That was fabulous. That was Molly's. Yeah. Yeah, that was Molly's That's thing. when Molly was. That was a magazine though, wasn't it? Uh, oh, sorry, it could have been. I'm thinking, what was the show? Um, oh, dear. It, it kind of went hand in hand. Um Oh, it'll come to me. It's when Russell Morris did the real thing. Yeah, because Molly uh, produced that. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Molly was, you know, very groovy in his day. I'll yeah. have to hand him that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I can't think of that show. That's terrible because, you know, that was a must watch. That was well before Countdown. Yeah, yeah. And you never missed it. Oh, there's some great um, clips even on YouTube now of, of uh, G, GTV. Yeah, yeah GTV. Yeah, GTV. That, and in Melbourne tonight familiar. there's like some great like um, Lobby Lloyd and the Coloured Balls clips. Oh, yeah. And just some of those other sort of... You know, right, and they were on the the telly. Yeah, uh, I, I missed all that. There, I saw. there was another band around called Carson. Oh yeah, then, they were a blues band. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, um, mm. yeah. Yeah, Melbourne was very switched on. Yeah, and after the Easy Beat, Sydney sort of fell into a bit of a hole. Yeah, and Melbourne seems switched on to me right now. Oh, it like, would be. Like, it yeah. just there's nothing really. It doesn't seem like there's much happening in Sydney. No, um, but yeah, I don't know. Melbourne's. I just yeah, as I was playing you those clips the other day, and mm. just, it just seems like it's uh, really starting to. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's starting to or if it's been going for a while, and I've only just discovered it. But yeah, there's definitely a, a vibrant pub slash punk rock scene happening mm. down there. That Amazing. I really dig. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think they've always they cover every genre down there very yep. well. You know. And if you're from Sydney, you don't hear about it much because of that terrible Melbourne-Sydney hatred thing. <laughs> yeah, but it was weird. Like, when I lived in Melbourne, they would often refer, make comparisons to Sydney. Oh, you know, we can do it as good as Sydney. It's like, look, I'm from Sydney and... And we don't even think twice about Melbourne. <laughs> like we never say, oh, this is better than Melbourne <laughs> no, does. It's no, just... that's right. It only works one way. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's when I like went like to New Zealand. They, they were like that, you know. To, towards Australia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But we don't, and we're yeah. over here thinking, you know, yeah. what are they talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're doing well. Uh, it's very we strange. Really very strange. But uh, Sydney, certainly when in the 80s, um, I thought Sydney was, you know, much more middle of the road. 
Okay. Um, I know you had your big bands like In Excess and, and yep. the Oils and stuff like that, but um, it still wasn't what Cold Chisel were doing, you know? Okay. What, what they did. They Hard, never, harder edge type Yeah, thing. Okay. and they, they never did get, WEA never did get their sound the yeah, way yeah, they sounded okay. live. There was, and, a, um, like, there was a pretty big scene of alternative bands. Like when I was sort of in high school from 82 through to 80, end of 87, mm-hmm. like there was the street press, which was a paper called On the Street. And, and we, oh, yeah. we were too young to go to any of these things. But there was all these, there was quite a few sort of bands on on that sort of more, uh, I guess, for want of a better term, alternative mm. scene. There was like the Celibate Rifles and the Hard-Ons and the Proton Energy Pills that ended up becoming Tumbleweed. Like there was quite a lot going on but it was really small scale yeah like, and, and occasionally there'd be breakouts like uh, the rat cat oh Remember yes those guys from oh the that was fantastic yeah. and spy versus spy, spy was versus spy, they, yeah. they did well um, the rifles the hard-ons the mass appeal and the lead singer of that band i think his name's ben brown he ended up becoming he ended up doing a lot of artwork for a lot of the bands oh. and, and a lot of the venues and yeah. it was kind of this kind of real horror comic type artwork and mm. now he i think mm. he lives at the goldie and does artwork on surfboards oh okay uh, but yeah uh, uh, yeah th- and then uh, when i left school and i be- 